Amen. Isn't, isn't that true, church? Just praising God this morning. I, uh, I don't know what it was like for you, but to wake up to 70 degrees and come in to just worship our great God. It's just such a, a, an awesome morning. Well, if you are here for the first time or you've been here hundreds of Sundays, we are in our second week of the Unshaken series, this journey through Jeremiah. And so it's a perfect time to hop in and check us out as a church this summer if you're visiting. And just an amazing time for us as a church to dive into this Old Testament book and to see what God's doing there, what's taking place with his chosen people. And as you do, I want to encourage you to just be digging into this book. Maybe it's by going on our website and downloading our devotionals and kind of going through it that way, or reading a chapter every day. But God's doing some amazing things in this book, and we need to see it um, as, as his people gathered here. Last week, Pastor Lon started this series, and if you were here, you're going to remember how he described this book of the Bible, but he went through and kind of laid out who Jeremiah was and and how this book is structured and, and all the different things that kind of, when you read it, you're going, okay, how does this fit together? And so I want to kind of remind you, and if this is your first Sunday, you're going to see this for the first time, but I want you to see how the book of Jeremiah is laid out. It's written with several different types of literature in this 52-chapter book. The first you see is that there is historical literature, that there's going to be things that you see of God's chosen people, and then there's some biographical literature. You're going to learn about Jeremiah and see who Jeremiah, this prophet, this chosen prophet was. And then there is just, it's full and full of prophecy. This prophecy of what was happening with God's chosen people then, but also what was going to happen. What's, what's going to be taking place with Israel. And so as we look at this and as you jump in, start reading it. Start looking, okay, what is being said here? What do, how does this fit? What's taking place? There's also a way that this is broken down structurally. And so Pastor Lon told, told us about this. You're going to see that in chapters 1 through 25, you see the prophecies of Judah. What's happening in those chapters. Then you see in chapters 26 through 45, a biography of Jeremiah in Judah. And so you start learning about who this prophet is. And then lastly, these prophecies for the other nations. What God was saying to the other nations and about the other nations. And so it's an incredible book with many, many things that are taking place. So all that being said, when we start looking at this great book, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever spent time in a garden weeding with children? That might seem a little strange to be asked that question this morning. But if you have done that, you're going to recognize what that means. See, weeding with children is some of the most unproductive time you can ever make. The kids don't want to be there, and so they go out and they do something. They make sure that they pluck everything off the surface. They get it all and they say, look, it's done. 
You as an adult, you know that whenever you're weeding, you have to get the root. You got to make sure that the roots come out. And that's a little labor intensive. But the reason for that is because roots are key to the existence of those weeds. They give the weeds the nourishment as well as those roots suck everything out of every other plant around it. Now when you look at trees, trees are a little different. We love trees. We love driving down the street with a big canopy of trees all around us. Trees sometimes do damage, but their roots are very, very different. We want to care for them. When I was looking at this text, I started looking up some information on trees. And I know I got to get a better hobby than looking up facts on trees. But there are some amazing things to learn from these trees. In 2009, there was a study done at Virginia Tech. And what they were looking at was how to kind of see how you can measure trees and what they're going to become. And so they have all these trees that are planted in unobstructed soil. So nothing can harm them. And what they found was that the ratio of the root radius to the trunk diameter was about 38 to 1. Now, I hate math at this hour of the day. So I'm going to paint a different picture for you. What was found was that a 6-inch tree had a root base of 19 feet. See, healthy trees have a vast array of roots to dig down in that soil and to gain nourishment from it. And so they dig and dig down, and we see that those roots that we can't see provide a healthy trunk and a healthy canopy. See, we can learn from trees because where your roots grow will determine your flourishing. See, where your roots are growing right now are going to determine your flourishing and what takes place and what is happening in your life. And what we end up finding is as we read this text this morning, as we dive into Jeremiah 2 through 4, we end up seeing that Healthy people and healthy nations are determined by where they allow their roots to grow. It's, it, it's the base of everything. Let me just warn you of this, though. If you haven't read this text before or you haven't read it for a while, Jeremiah 2 through 4 is really not the chapter you want to go to for encouragement. It's depressing. In fact, this past week, one day, I had to stop reading it because I was getting depressed with what was taking place in it. Somebody this past week asked me, what is your hope for when people leave after the sermon? And I said, my hope is is that they don't leave depressed. Because what we find is that God is talking to his chosen people and he is saying some incredibly hard things. And he's using terminology that we don't like, that is very uncomfortable. But as we dig in, I'm going to tell you, we are going to get to hope. Because God is present, and we're going to learn who God truly is. 
So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah 2. If you uh, are using one of our Bibles in the pew, it's going to be around page 746. And so as you're opening there, what we need to understand is that the tension that's happening in these three chapters is that God's describing his people and the collapse that's coming. And what we have to ask is why? Why was this happening? And so I want to start in verse 2. Follow along with me. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. See, at one time, Israel was in love with God. They were devoted to, to him and to his ways. And so God is bringing this to the people's attention. And if you look at right at the beginning, he ends up using the word remember. And the reason that word is there and is being looked at is because he wants to take them back to the good old days where love was flourishing and where this was a beautiful relationship. He refer, refers to them as his bride. And so he's talking about this marriage relationship. And this is key to everything this morning whenever we go through this. Because this is the type of relationship that God was to have with his people. It was a love relationship, a covenantal love, till death do us part love. And it, it was something beautiful. I can think back to the day that I married my wife, Angie. And I can remember standing at the front of, of that sanctuary and seeing her coming down. And that day we made a commitment. We said a lot of things to one another. We took vows. We made a covenant with one another that we would put our roots into God because marriage wasn't going to be easy. That he was going to be the one that we needed and that we were going to make a commitment to one another to love each other through every season, through everything that happens in our life. And if we just said those words and they meant nothing, our marriage would fall apart. Our marriage would be broken I don't know about you, but we love the stories. I mean, those stories that we see, maybe it's in the paper or on the news, of those elderly couples that have been married for like 70 years, 75 years, and they're holding hands, and they're kissing each other, and they're talking about how they met each other, and how he won her over, and we celebrate those marriages, and we should, we should celebrate 70 years of being committed to one another and going through those great times and those hard times. What we don't celebrate, and if this applies to you because you are newly married, I am not against you. 
But it's not like we end up gathering together and we celebrate going, man, they made it one month. We don't celebrate that because it's commitment. It's a covenantal love that God made with Israel that was going to be ongoing and ongoing, decade after decade, generation after generation. And this is what God is reminding them of in these first verses. And then we get to Jeremiah 2.5. Look at it. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. This is God talking about his people. And you don't expect God to say this, but he is now talking about his bride and saying they have become worthless. Worthless. It's, it's hard. And this is the beginning of a barrage of metaphors and descriptions of his people and his chosen people that we're going to see here this morning. But what we have to remember is that where your roots grow determine your flourishing. And so where are your roots right now? Israel collapses because of where their roots are. And it's a variety of branches that are coming off of these roots. And we're going to look at them and we're going to run through this pretty quickly. And I just got to tell you that it's not a pretty sight. It's hard. And so what are the roots to the collapse of Israel? We'll start here. We're going to go back to Jeremiah 2.2. And what we find there is that legacy is ignored. Legacy ignored. See, that, er that area of Scripture in that chapter is reminding them to be devoted. That they, what they had was to be passed on to every generation after them. Israel was given specific, specific things to speak to the generations that would come. If you were to flip back to Deuteronomy 6, in Deuteronomy 6, it says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. They were set up as a chosen people to pass on their faith, to leave a legacy of what God has done for them, and they ignored it. They allowed their root to go down and to ignore what God has done. Off of that branch, as you can think, picture a root coming down, off that root goes a branch, and you see the second part of the collapse is that they are leaderless. In Jeremiah 2.8, you end up reading, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. What we read there is that this love relationship between God and his people are, is completely gone, and it's because the leaders are not leading the way they're supposed to. The ones that are close with God are not helping the nation to see the ways of God. 
And this is a, a, a horrible, horrible thing for this nation because as the leaders go, so go the people of that nation. And so the, the leaders lead them to a national and to a spiritual collapse. And then off that branch, that, that root that of leaderless, we end up seeing the, the third thing is that there is a broken marriage. In Jeremiah 2.13, the prophet writes, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So this was this love relationship and this uh, strong word that's used there, the word forsaken. Forsaken means that these people, God's chosen people, abandoned God. It's like they took God, put him on the corner, and then left, never to come back. Completely abandoned him and turned their back on him. It's like a spouse who walks out on the family and breaks the relationship that was to be full of trust and love and growth. And Israel does this. God's chosen people does this to God. And off of of that root, we end up seeing that it leads to this other root of pride. Also in this verse, it talks about that they have dug their own cisterns and that they're building these broken cisterns. The reason that's talked about is because in that region, there would be these uh, earthquake tremors, and it would crack the cisterns. And whenever you would go to repair them, it was very labor-intensive. It was hard work, and they could never get it back to its original place to hold the nourishment that they needed. And so what God is now saying, whenever we look at this, is that he's referring to the hard work of not following him, of going a different way. In fact, in verse 11, it says, has a nation ever changed its gods? God's asking this through the prophet because what was happening is that these foreign nations and foreign gods would come in and the practice was this, that they would build their idol and when that God did not provide what they needed, they would put it on a shelf of the temple and they would build another one in hopes that something would take place. But they would never get rid of the original one. So if you were to walk through the temple, you would see gods all around you. They never got rid of them. What is God's people doing? Exchanging him. Taking him to the customer service counter, laying him down, saying, this isn't good enough, I want that one. And exchanging the the great provider, the great God that chose these people. After pride, we see this other root that starts coming out, and it's this elevation of temporary comfort. This temporary comfort in 2.18. It says, now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile, and why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? 
It's in reference that now what they are doing is because they need temporary comfort, they need something to come in and to help them, they go to their enemies, to God's enemies. If you were to go back to the book of Exodus, you would read the whole amazing story of God's chosen people being led out of Egypt, the sea splitting, them walking on dry land, and now they're going back to them for temporary comfort. Because they're elevating that higher than their God. Out of that, another root is sprouting, and we see that it's this root of flaunting sin. You read it in Jeremiah 2.20, where they are declaring that they're not going to serve God. And so Israel breaks connection with God. Judah breaks connection with God. And this is where the first comparison of this people, this chosen people, is made and connected to a prostitute. I mean, he's declaring they're like a prostitute looking for anybody to sleep with. In other places in this chapter, they're referred to as an animal in heat, as a donkey in heat looking for some partner. And on, in this, what is happening is that they even refer to them going up to high places. And what that means is that they're not hiding their sin. They're not keeping it private. They're going to the high places and they're flaunting it. It's public expression of sin. And this is where this chosen people group is going. After that, there's this this other root that comes out, and it's the root of lost awe. In Jeremiah 2.19, he says, Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. I mean, in this... They're basically turning their backs and they have forgotten the awe of the creator, the awe of the rescuer, the awe of the healer, the awe of the provider. They've lost their awe. In this marriage relationship, it's like this. And I want you men to think about your wedding day and when you were at the front and you saw your bride coming down and this awe that you had of her. That if that continues to go away and you're not in awe of what God has done in her and provided in her, then you start losing that relationship. And God's chosen people are doing this very thing. They've lost their awe of God. We're almost through with the bad but it continues getting worse. See, there's this other root that comes off, and it's this root, if, if you can just picture it, it's sprouting out, and it's going all over the place, and it's this root of addictive living. In Jeremiah 2, 25, you end up seeing that God is like giving them this advice, and they say, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. They are addicted to these other things, this other evil, and all the practices that go on with those religious 
uh, temples and the foreign gods that are there. And so they're addicted to it. They crave it. And when addiction comes, then blame comes, and eventually they start blaming God for everything that's taking place. Out of that, another root sprouts, and it's this root of unjust people. They are a nation of unjust people. In 234, it declares that they have blood on themselves. And it's a metaphor, and it's a reality. See, they were called to care for the needy. They were called to care for their children. In Deuteronomy, it's a, it's a verse there of caring for them. If you pass on, you are caring. And what they are doing here is that they are ignoring the poor. They are ignoring the needy. And in this verse, it talks about a valley. And what they have done is they've fallen so much into the ways of the false gods that they're taking their own children and sacrificing them to other gods. They're killing their own generations. They are murderers. And they have blood on them. And out of that, we then see this last route that I want to look at. And it's this one that is sexually driven. In Jeremiah 3, verses 1 through 3, you end up seeing God talking about if a man divorces his wife, and talking about this broken marriage that happens there, he ends up saying to them, but you lived as a prostitute with many lovers, that this marriage has fallen apart, and that they are selling themselves to other nations, so much so that they're even going up to the temples and having sex with the temple prostitutes. That is a nation collapsing. And that should break our hearts. It's hard. These three chapters are so hard to read. But all of those roots lead up to the trunk of idolatry, of this idolatry of identity. That they wanted to form their own identity. They were going after what they think is best. That their will is better than God's. And so they're going after this in every way possible. And so when you forget where your identity comes from, you'll chase after anything and you think you're in control. You think your will is better than God's. In his wonderful book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller defines what an idol is for us. He says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. It's an incredible book. I encourage you to buy it, read it, and study it for yourself. But whenever we see that definition, we find that this section of Scripture is full of this. And why is that? It's because whenever we are pursuing idols, it means that every little decision that we make is leading us further and further away from God. 
And your sin, even though you think it's private, isn't private. It impacts you. It impacts everybody in your home. It impacts your neighbors. It impacts the entire body of Christ. My sin doesn't just impact me and my wife and my kids. It impacts you. That's what happened here with God's chosen people. We take it so lightly, but when we are pursuing idols, we pursue idols and we worship them because we believe that idols give us a sense of control. So now, after going through all that, God calls his people, the church, you and I, as we gather together to, to look at him and what he is doing here. And so we enter here to worship a God who wants to take care of our roots and put them into something else. And so you have to ask yourself this morning, what are the idols that I am following? And you might look at that list and go, that's not me, that's Old Testament times. But it is you and I. Because we pursue the idol of promotion, which means that we give allegiance to some other people that might not follow God. Or we pursue the idol of busyness, and so we fill our schedules with really good things, really amazing things, and it keeps us so busy that we forget to pass on the legacy of our faith. Or we pursue the idol of addictions, and so we pursue sex, material possessions, substances, and we think it's no big deal, and yet those idols are taking our roots, and they are going to make us collapse. And so God calls to our church today, to his people, and he says, I bring hope, even in the midst of three awful chapters, I bring hope. And so for you today that knows this is the idol I am pursuing, this is the idol that I am craving, I am telling you there is hope. And hope comes in three ways. Hope comes with the call of conviction. Hope comes with the call of conviction. And it's because God knows that where your roots grow determines your flourishing. And so this conviction comes, and we read all these things in Jeremiah 2 through 4. And we see that they have fallen to the the lure of idols. And yet, in the midst of it, God's calling. In fact, it says the Lord is calling. Lord meaning somebody who has authority and power and love is calling you this morning is coming and calling to you and convicting you of the things that are in your life, in my life. And so are you hearing his voice saying that this isn't right? You've allowed your awe of me to be squelched. And he's convicting. And if you're feeling that conviction, it leads to the second part of this return in repentance. And so over and over again, we see the phrase, declares the Lord. But two times in chapter 2, it says, declares the Lord Almighty and declares the Sovereign Lord. And the reason those two words are put in is because it's saying this is the all-powerful God who has the authority to and power to choose and to cleanse. And so he is calling for conviction because he is choosing you. 
And he can cleanse you. He is the only one that has the power to. And so if he's willing to call a nation that he compares to a prostitute, it means that there is nothing that keeps you in the way of an all-holy God who loves you and is calling you back. And it means that you are turning your back on the idols and you are going after him. And you're saying, I can't do this anymore. I have sinned against you. And I need your forgiveness. And after that happens, it leads to this third thing of follow in obedience. See, once you are convicted, once you return in repentance, then you are called to follow. You are sent out to follow. We are a sent people who are to be obedient to God's ways. There's a painting Dutch artist Anton Moave painted. It's called The Return of the Flock. And I want you to see it. When you look at this painting, you see the, this field and all these bushes and, and all these grasses and these sheep. But the focal point of that painting is nothing except the shepherd. It's the shepherd. And the sheep know that for protection and to be provided for, they have to follow that shepherd. They have to obey that shepherd. And just like we see that there, he is calling his church today to fall in line, to follow in obedience, to go after him because his, where he wants to plant your roots is going to make you flourish for his mission. That's what it's all about. That's what he's calling you to because where your roots grow will determine your flourishing. And so I don't know where your roots are. My prayer for us this morning was that the God, that the God who was speaking to his chosen people would convict me of my sin, would convict you of your sin, and that he would give us the hope that we all need, that even when we think it's lost, he conquers it all. And he's called you, he's called you to return home, to return to him, and to allow him to put your roots down into his grace. So may that be what we are all about this morning, tomorrow, and every day after as his chosen people. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for these hard words that we read. I thank you that you have provided as you were talking to your chosen people you constantly were saying return because you can take care of the things that have made them filthy and i know you want to do the same thing here today and so i ask lord that you would do a work on our hearts and as we come and as we worship you that we would worship you knowing that we need you because we can't get rid of these things on our own. And we worship you because you are the all-powerful, the Lord Almighty, the Sovereign Lord. And it's your name I pray. Amen.